0: We're in Mark of course And we're in we're in the 10th chapter And we're continuing We, we begun the, the chapter last week So we're continuing from verse 13 Mark 10 verse 13 It says this And they brought young children to him That he should touch them And his disciples rebuked those that brought them there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God and they were astonished out of measure saying among themselves who then can be saved and Jesus looking upon them saith with men it is impossible but not with God for with God all things are possible Amen You'll perhaps understand them where this title came from. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. So we're follow- following on today with a gathering that was in, in a house. And Jesus had been speaking about adultery and remarriage. And um, Our reading today takes in two notable encounters The first one is about the children allow them to come to me Jesus says and then there's the meeting with the young man who's commonly known as the rich young ruler I expect most preachers would treat these two events separately it it, it makes sense but because I've spoken over the last couple of weeks about Jesus' use of children to make his points, I thought I'd make only some brief comments on, on this episode I intend to focus on the other event today well some parents brought their infants to Jesus to receive a blessing the disciples told the parents off no doubt keen that Jesus not be distracted from his ministry that's understandable Now, re- remember what I said last time, that children were among the lowest in Jewish society. And Jesus had used the children recently to, to overturn those social norms. But the disciples were still learning. And I think the attitude Jesus was attempting to re-educate them about was more Was more than their low view of children he was teaching them both to have respect to those least in the church and to discard their general attitude of elitism jesus goes on to show the type of attitude needed for entry into his kingdom and he uses some children as examples and i've said previously Jesus had been using children to represent something else so we've seen that but many commentators they 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 get to this point in mark's gospel and they change tack and they suggest Jesus is now talking about his special love for children now if you accept the way in which he he did um use children recently it makes no sense to start interpreting his lesson literally the children here are being used again as examples there's something about children that must be seen in the one who wants entry into the kingdom of god it's not childishness okay it's not because to be childish is, is, is for one thing is to be simple. It's not humility. We can't even say children are notable, you know, noted for their their humility. A lot of children want to be at the centre of attention all the time. So what is it? Well, infants are totally dependent on adults for their welfare. They get their food at the hands of their parents and, and their parents protect them they're vulnerable in other words and in that society they are marginalised now the sinner who comes to God wanting salvation must come empty handed they must acknowledge their absolute dependence on God for salvation and they also have to accept they don't belong that that they are marginalised they don't belong in this world So they must be vulnerable, in other words. And this act of humility is one of the the biggest barriers I've seen to people trusting in God. Some people cannot bring themselves to accept. They're helpless. So compare this lowly approach to the rich young ruler we're about to consider. We'll see that he wanted to bring some offering of his own that would earn him salvation that would that would merit salvation yet I'm, I'm sure if we asked the people of that day including the disciples what type of person would be suitable for citizenship of the Zion of God the, the city of God they, they maybe describe a man like the one we're talking about today an upstanding, respected member of society an adult a male adult with a seeming desire to obey God so the idea the kingdom of God belongs to people who are in some way like children is hard for them to accept so this is not about Jesus's particular love for children that interpretation is popular because it sounds more pleasant. And many doctrines are popular because they sound more romantic or more exciting. And, and, and we, we should make sure we don't fall into this trap. But having said this, I think it's fair to say that in bringing children to into the very heart of his public ministry, Jesus is teaching us that the gospel is for children too. Unlike the religious people around him, he cared as much for infants as for adults. So we're looking at this account of the rich young ruler as he's come to be known. He wasn't a ruler as a a ruler in the synagogue or anything, he was a civil magistrate by the sounds of it, and our text tells us he was both rich and he was a young man. And I'd like to make it my aim today to remind you that salvation is of God, and to try to take this word and feed your souls through the glorious gospel of God. And to do this, I intend to present you with these three three statements, three Reasons why salvation is impossible with men. God saves sinners. They cannot save themselves. Well, then, salvation is impossible with men because of, firstly, pride. if we go back to the beginning of this meeting it says this is verse 17 and when he was gone forth into the way there came one running and kneeled to him and asked good master what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life now I've inserted something in there because when we look at one of the other gospel writers he puts a, a detail in there that Mark doesn't include. This guy came to Jesus and said, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And th- there's something in that. There's, there's something important in that which exposes something about the, the thinking of that um, man. As an aside, I I will mention this, he he comes and says, he comes and says, um, he uses the term good master, does he not? And Jesus, just at first, he he slightly digresses and says, by the way, why are you calling me good? Because, you know, there is only one that fits that description and that's God. Christ isn't saying here that He's not good, but His Father in Heaven is. He's saying, "If you want to call Me good, Master, you're confessing the truth that I am God." That's what He means. But of course, the the, re, the real problem was His question. Uh, this is um, this is where pride comes into it. So what good thing shall I do? This is not a cry of despair like the Philippian jailer. Do you remember he said he said what must I do to be saved? But that man wasn't told to go off and do anything, he was commanded to believe. But this young man today is he's, he's really a picture of every proud religious person who's ever lived. They too want to know which type of good work they should perform so God will reward them with salvation. The religions of Viking paganism, Islam, uh, Judaism, they're all the same. All of man's religions are based on salvation through works. When you, when you talk to someone about the gospel, be it a, a relative or, or a friend or s- someone you encounter in the course of evangelism, the Bible says that they are blind. They, they don't know it, but they are slaves to sin. They are, they are overtaken with what the apostle calls the pride of life. Now they'll tell you they're not a bad person. That they've made mistakes like everyone else, but on the whole, they're good people. This is the general opinion people have of themselves. And most people, they they want salvation, whatever it is. If there's if there is a great place we can go to when we die, and be there forever, they they want it. And they reason within themselves then What can I do to get this? Salvation by the, the, just the pure grace of God uh, uh, Just as a gift Is a mystery to them Because to understand that They have to believe They have to accept that everything they've ever done That they think is good. Is in reality. Like filthy rags. The Bible says. and That's hard. That's true. That's what the Bible says. Perhaps this man also represents. Those multitudes of people. Who've. um, They've stepped forward. At Christian rallies. Campaigns. These big revival meetings who've come wanting eternal life but with the same question in their mind what good thing shall I do now look I know there are people who've been converted through the preaching of these free willers, these showmen but the fruit of ministries like that is exposed when you see the number of their converts who truly go on to follow Jesus Christ out of maybe hundreds of thousands of people who have come forward or raised their hand to be saved hardly any are found afterwards to be following the Saviour and in the history of evangelism that's not, that's not good there's something wrong there But all those people are proof that people want to do something. I've often said, you know, that in our evangelism, if you could say to people, you need to uh, walk from here to to Manchester and you will gain salvation, there would be hundreds of thousands of people queuing up to to, to march to Manchester because it allows them, it allows them to perform this, this worthy work. Asking them to just give up, surrender. They don't want to do it. They want to do something. Some Christians will will say to me, you know, that um, well, how I got saved is, I did exercise my free will and I chose God. I exercised my free will and chose God. I could have not chosen Him, but I chose. I chose to. to be converted and I'd say that's wrong I'd say that's unbiblical, that's not the picture at all Uh, the picture is more like this God God comes down to someone who's not seeking him and he does a work in their hearts and they start to, to look for God where is he? which religion is he hiding in? and God reveals himself to that person and the act of conversion is like this. It's, it's as if God opens the hand of someone. And then places the gift of salvation in it. And closes the hand back up. And so you see that. Friend if you're saved. You, you were an empty vessel. Into which God just poured his grace. You just you just received it. Well let's move on. Let's move on to Christ's answer. So in his good wisdom. Jesus uh, he did something very interesting If this man were around, around today and he came to Jesus With these searching questions I'm sure the preachers, some of them would say Oh, let's get down on our knees and repeat up this prayer after me But Jesus, knowing this man is proud of himself Chooses instead to use the law of God against him He used it in the way it's meant to be used To show a man that he's a sinner. The law when properly understood. Points sinners to Christ. Because when you see the righteousness. The perfection that the law demands. It drives you to the only one. Who can save. The Lord's command to the, to the man was. Keep the commandments. You want to do something? Go and keep the commandments. Now, do you think there was any chance this man could do this? No. He was, like you and I, a child of Adam. And he, like you and I, inherited the family disease of sin. This sinful man could no more keep the commandments of God than my dog. But, the young ruler asked Okay then which commandments uh, which, which which commandments should I keep Maybe he thought Jesus would tell him The important ones The the ones that please God So he could concentrate on them And not bother with the others maybe Maybe he thought that this prophet Had come with some new rule to keep I don't know But Jesus indulges him and He, he gives him he gives him a few commandments of God's from what we sometimes call the moral law. They're the ones written on the stone tablets, commonly called the Ten Commandments. And the ones Jesus gives are from the, the second the second uh, table, the second tablet of the law, which are all about men's uh, men's responsibilities to each other. Now, these were regarded by the Jews as being a bit easier to keep, Although Christ later showed that they hadn't even kept one between them since they were given. So, we have this situation where salvation is impossible here because of pride. But it it also becomes possible because of something else. Because of self-righteousness. The man in his pride tells the Messiah... That he's kept these commandments. He's kept these commandments since he was a boy. Well, that's impressive. I think he must have been in work on the day when the Sermon at the Mount took place. That would have shut him up, wouldn't it? Imagine his face if he'd heard Jesus say, So you've never killed anyone, eh? Good. You ever been angry at anyone? Ever? Then you're a common murderer a lawbreaker and deserving of divine retribution that would have done the trick now, by the world's standards th- this, this, this was an unusual man to be fair he was rich yet he knew there was more to life than what he could see and touch he was young yet he had an interest in spiritual matters that's uncommon in younger people He was a man of standing in the community yet he risked his reputation by dropping to his knees and asking about spiritual things in front of this crowd and he had some belief that Jesus Christ was able to point him in the right direction to get eternal life what's sad in all this he he believed what he, he was saying when he said he'd kept the law. Uh, according to the people's understanding of the law, he had kept it. I'm sure he really had never been with another woman. I'm sure he never did kill anyone and I'm sure he visited his mom and dad. But there's the problem. He has no idea of God's holiness and he does not understand the law in a spiritual way. You can bet your life he's hated people and had his eyes on other fellas' wives. His version of obedience to God. It was outward. Like people today, he prided himself on an, uh, an outward respectability. But his heart was still black as coal. I was speaking to a, I was speaking to a lady it's um it's quite a while back now. She was she's been a professing Christian and and th- this was th- this was the discussion on the internet and, and she was a as I say she claimed to be a Christian and we, we were talking about the you know the relationship of the Christian to the law of God in, in the Bible. Well she informed me that she she had gone and joined one of these you know these jewish roots uh, groups and she's been rebaptized in this group as an act of repentance for her christianity which she now thinks is all corrupt and one of her new duties and obedience to the lord of god well she's now ploughing through deuteronomy trying to see what things she is able to do what good thing she could do to please God self-righteousness let's look at some scriptures to see clearly the error of the young man in our story the deluded woman I've just mentioned and everyone else who seeks to, to to be right with God by the keeping of the law in Romans chapter 7 and verse 4 it says Wherefore my brethren ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ That ye should be married to another Even to him who is raised from the dead That we should bring forth fruit unto God He who is raised from the dead is of course Christ Jesus our beloved saviour So did you, did you get onto this? We are dead to the law. And now we have a new husband, and that is Christ. And you can't have it both ways. You're either married to the law or married to Christ. You're either either bound by the law or you are free in Christ. What do you think Jesus would think if you wanted to go back to your old husband? Back to law-keeping you've received from him perfect righteousness do you really want to try and improve on that if you turn over the page in Romans to chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 reads like this for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit if only the rich young ruler knew this that the the law could never save anyone because of the weakness of our flesh we're not able to do it remember the law as in the whole law of God, or just the Ten Commandments, however you look at it, they must be kept uh, in their entirety, all the time, perfectly. And if you break one of those laws in the slightest degree, the whole thing comes crashing down. Now if there's a man out there If there's a man out there in this world Who Had no weakness of flesh who, Who never sinned in thought Or word or deed Then he could earn perfect merit with God He would be truly righteous Thanks be to God Such a man Was found And it was the God man himself Jesus Because of him The the righteousness of the law Was fulfilled in us So listen carefully It means that all God's chosen people Are treated as if they'd personally kept the law of God As perfectly as Christ did We Christians are treated as if we had kept the law entirely And that is the only way. That is the only way we can have that sort of. That that requirement. For perfection. It's not through our own efforts. It is through taking the perfection. That is given to us. By God. His very own perfection. And that is how we are accepted. So self-righteousness. Is another reason. Why men can't save themselves. You only have to look at the. The two men in the temple, in the story in the Bible, one stood at the front proclaiming his own righteousness and he left that temple as lost as when he went in. The other sat at the back crying. He confessed his sinfulness and he left that place right with God. Here's my third and final statement. The final reason why salvation is impossible with men. It's because of their love for the world. Their love for the for this world. So here's the crunch time. Jesus, uh, now knowing all along this man was in love with his riches, he continues to humour this man's error. He tells him to do just one more thing, then he'll be perfect. He tells him to sell everything and give the money to the poor. Picture this: Now, a man comes to New Road Church one Sunday morning, and he's rich. He's a, a, a multi-millionaire, and he spent his entire life building this this edifice of wealth. And he says, "He says I've been a I've been a decent chap, you know, during my life. I've given, I've given money to charity, by the way. Did I mention that?" He tell and it uh, he, he, he tells you. He tells you he's a decent chap and he asks, well, what else do we need to do now to get eternal life? Well, can you imagine how he would react if he, if we spoke to him like Jesus just did? Now, okay, it's different. None of us is God. None of us can read people's minds or know about them without ever meeting them. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting we try the approach Jesus used. It wouldn't be right for us to say something like that to someone just because they had lots of money. But can you imagine if you did say, uh, okay friends, what I'd like you to do is, I'd like you to go and sell your house and uh, sell your holiday homes abroad and sell your three cars, your jewelry, your expensive clothes, they can go. There's a charity shop down the road, you can get some clothes there. Uh, And empty your bank accounts, Uh, maybe just leave a few pounds in. Then take all that money, all the millions, And then give it to needy people uh, in in the area. And then follow Jesus and you'll have treasure in heaven. What do you think would happen? I don't think you'd see him again. He'd go away sorrowful because although he'd never have admitted it to you, he loves his wealth. And here's a question for us now. What would we do if God laid it on your heart? Would you give up your house, your car? And what about your family? Do you, do you, do you, do you love God more than you love them? Are you sure? This rich young man, only moments before the most enthusiastic man in the crowd, seeking after eternal life hanging on Jesus's instructions i tell you this man was ready to do anything unless of course the cost was too much and it was he loved his money he he's likely worked very hard to amass all this wealth the, the natural man concerns himself with many things in this life but some are of a great Concern to him And when people have great concerns in this life They naturally start to love those things more than God Have a look at this counsel from the Lord here In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 It says Set your affection on things above Not on things on the earth And in 1 John Chapter two and verse fifteen we have this clear warning. Listen, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. Well, Jesus Jesus makes this clear by using a picture. He says it would be easier. For a camel to get through the eye Of a needle Than for a rich man to enter God's kingdom Well after Jesus said All this of course the disciples were amazed They just gasped They, they were, Who then can be saved It will help us to understand Where the disciples were coming from To appreciate why they were so shocked You'll You've heard me said before that the Jewish understanding of the kingdom of God and its Messiah was a material one. They expected the Messiah to come and lead the Jews in a huge uprising which would overthrow the Roman tyrants and establish a literal kingdom where the Jews ruled. It was never Jesus' intention to set up some um, Jewish run state both then and in the modern age Jesus intention was to just destroy it and the temple never rebuilt again but the disciples they they were misguided like most but they were beginning to understand that this wasn't the purpose of god at all there's something different going on here but still some of their some of their old ideas would have i'm sure been with them still well Their master had destroyed their notion of men of great standing making up the kingdom. And now he tells them that most rich men won't get in either. No wonder they were exceedingly amazed. I mean, in that society, a lot of people thought being rich was a sign of God's blessing. As some Christians do today. It's... um, They were amazed, and they probably thought, Jesus, come on, you've, you've ruled out the most successful men, the respectable ones, even our religious leaders. Who's left? Is this kingdom of going to be ruled by lowly, the nomarchs of this world? And if that's what they thought, they'd be right for the change. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It's a meek and despised minority who will inherit the earth and all heavenly treasures. (laughs) Now I've told you here up to now that with men salvation is impossible. And we've examined this from uh, Three different angles Now I can't leave it there can I Many of you you will know Like me by experience That salvation cannot be impossible Because you've testified That you're God's children That is you've abandoned any hope of saving yourself You've fled to that If you like that city of refuge Which is Christ Jesus the Lord We've proven through this meeting with the rich young ruler man cannot save himself in reply to the question posed by the disciples who then can be saved Jesus confirms this truth with men he says salvation is impossible but praise God that's not the end of the sentence praise God for these words it says but with God but with God he says all things are possible because of his almighty nature he was able to predestine people to eternal life according to nothing more than his own good will he was able to call them to himself by the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit he was able to justify them imparting to them the The exact same righteousness as Jesus has. And he was able to glorify them. Making them, making us kings and priests with himself. And promising them true peace and joy forever. Man cannot do any of these things. But God, God can. And God has Christ took the sins of his people on him and he owned them he owned them as his own and the father punished him instead of those people as if he was the one who did all these vile things that we've done God poured out his anger on his own son can you believe it but it means that there's not a scrap of anger left in our father It means he can never be angry at the believer because all his anger is spent. The idea of fitting a camel through the eye of a needle is absurd. It would take such a change in the nature of the camel that is beyond our imagination. But God does that with sinful man. God's able to fit the proverbial camel Through that needle And make no mistake The change required To turn a rebel into a servant of God Is just as huge This is why we should learn to appreciate folks Just what a miracle it is When a sinner is saved When I I try to persuade Sinners to believe the gospel I'm conscious that With me That person's salvation is impossible But With God All things are possible If that person is one of his They will come to him They will come to him One day or another If they belong to God And all those who come to God Will not be turned away What a glorious promise As for me, with God it was was possible to save this blasphemer from his rebellion. And more than that, God made it certain. Is this you? Then thank God for his so great salvation. Does this not describe you if you're listening today and you're not one of God's children? then to you I say believe the gospel message trust in Jesus and then we will leave it in the hands of our God uh, for whom all things are possible and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all both now and in the days ahead Amen.